Hey guys, it's Liat. I just wanted to wish all of you a happy new year and let you know that our spring, oh my God, I can't believe it's spring already. Our spring collective is opening up this week for signups. So if you're trying to get on the right track for this new year, get your studying in with an amazing community with real, raw, and relatable examples, we do that at Study Notes. We go over every single thing you need to know on the task list. So if you're petrified of your Cooper book and don't know where to start, or know you need to sign up for this test, this is your SD to sign up. We hope to have you. We make it fun. You'll love the people involved. These will be your people. And you don't have to hate studying anymore. It's time to pass the effing test. You can find it at studynotesava.com. We can't wait to meet you and see you there. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We are here with episode 82. New Year, Casey, what do you have for us? Episode 82. Happy New Year's, boo. Two and boo. Good. I like it. Casey, you are literally Amelia Bedelia over here. Doesn't Amelia Bedelia rhyme or am I making that up? I know she's literal, but she rhymes too. Okay. Um, all right, so today's episode, I'm pumped. But by the way, before we get started, Casey, I think maybe we should just be a little personal for one second. And I know I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't ask you this beforehand, but do you have a New Year's resolution? My New Year's resolution is to not have a New Year's resolution because I've never, ever stuck with one. So no, I'm just rolling right into this, you know, COVID life, hunkered down. No, not really. Do you? Well, this is kind of annoying that you asked because I didn't really plan it. But um, <laughs> um, my New Year's resolution, I think to try follow a schedule more because it's something that I really struggle with. And I know I've been trying lately and just like between work and my personal life, um, making time for that because I I really enjoy working or at least what we do. And so I think it's hard for me to turn that off ever, like ever. You mean ever. like the 1.30 a.m. text messages that I get from you? Yeah, I told you, <laughs> please keep, antecedent, please keep your phone on mute at night. My brain's working. <laughs> You're our morning, like Casey has us covered in the morning. There's texts at like five. And then you could get messages from me at like 2 a.m. So um, yeah, so that's my goal. All right, anyways, but before we get started today, we have a great guest and I'm really excited to share um, who our guest is. But first, you know we like to give ourselves a little reinforcement to get started, pair ourselves with some reinforcement. So Casey, what is our review of the day? It's a short and sweet one from Broadway Emmy. And it says, obsessed, found this podcast through a study ABA group and so glad I did. I've been so hooked and this is proving to be my highest reinforcer to getting my work done for my ABA grad program. So I'm glad that you're, you know, pre-macking that shit and getting your work done first and then listening to the podcast. Way to go. Thank love you for it. that review. Thank you so much. We love them. You guys know where to leave them on Apple Podcasts. I wish you could leave them in other places too. By the way, that was annoying when we got our review of the year for um episodes and we got it from spotify but i feel like more people listen on itunes so i just want to make sure the data is accurate about what ranking we are as a podcast but listen whenever i have free time which is never i'm gonna have to reach out to apple and tell them i think they need to catch up with spotify <laughs> Absolutely. All right. all right here we go so today's episode is i i think it's going to be valuable to a lot of people listening especially if you are a supervisor, you're a BCBA supervisor, or if, and I actually think it might even be more valuable if you are someone currently getting your supervision. Um, you know, I know a lot of us when we're getting our supervision uh, to be just to get our hours so that we could take the test to become BCBAs. I think we don't really know, like we're just like, okay, we gotta get these hours. We don't know what we should be expecting of quality supervision. And 
after speaking to our guest today, I'm very positive as to what they are doing sets a really good model for the rest of the field in terms of supervision. Um, you know, supervision sounds easy, like, yeah, whatever, yeah, I just sign off on this, but it's not. And I know that it's a constant struggle and I get a lot of messages from you guys that it causes a lot of stress that you're not offering quality supervision because how are you supposed to be billing and doing supervision and be responsible for the teacher learning everything, or, I mean, the student learning everything, or the supervisee, sorry, learning everything. If they're not learning it in their program, how am I supposed to be a professor and a supervisor and billing and scheduling at the same time? So today, uh, our, I'm really excited to introduce our guest. And Casey, can you tell them about our guest? I was going to say, let me introduce her. <laughs> we can have all those conversations with her. <laughs> so our guest today is Dr. Krista Clancy. Um, she actually earned her undergraduate at Western Michigan University in 1997, her master's at Eastern Michigan University in 2000, and her PhD at Wayne State University in 2017. She's also a licensed psychologist, and she's a behavior analyst. Uh, she's been practicing in the field of ABA and autism for over 20 years, okay? That is something. Um, she's been both a business owner and a director of ABA agencies, and she is the program director for the graduate and undergraduate programs in ABA at Wayne State University, where she oversees curriculum development and the field placement for all the students in the ABA programs. She's also on the advisory board of BABA, and fun fact, she was the 7,439th BCBA in the world. That's cool, because I'm like the 34,000 something. So I'm, I'm just 29,000 something. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Krista. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are actually a ball to hang out with. And I really <laughs> appreciate you um, inviting me to talk a little bit about our program and some of the things that we do for supervision, because you're right, it's probably one of the biggest challenges for students and for supervisors. And it's definitely a struggle to balance work and study and giving good supervision and all of that. So I'm happy to talk to you guys for sure. Thank you. And yeah, I think we're kind of fun to hang out with. There's a lot of laughs that we have for sure. <laughs> Even you get to see entertained. You get to see behind the scenes. That's for sure. Yes. So um, yeah, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your career path and wh what led you to where you are today and all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. So, um, gosh, I I don't know. I, I graduated from high school and I just like went to college wherever I got a scholarship and just started. I was kind of interested in psychology, didn't really know a lot about it. And um, lo and behold, I needed to do some sort of field, not a field experience, but it was called like a like a practicum back then. And um, and I ended up like being the nerd that I am, how quickly can I get this done? And there was like a summer program that I worked for um, uh, Dr. Meinhold, who was um, doing a clinic for children with autism at, when I was at uh, Western Michigan University. So I did a summer program there, learned how to do some LOVAS type stuff. Um, she trained us by watching like LOVAS videos and things like that. And then from there forward, I actually continued to work with this little kiddo that I was placed with for like the next, I don't know, four years or so while I was over there. And I did so many different things. I went to school with him and I worked in his house. And, you know, I just, um, there weren't BCBAs, there weren't consultants, there weren't people to kind of guide you. So I just read a lot of books and did some things. And, and then um, when I went to Eastern for my master's, I wanted to continue to work with people with autism. And so um, there were a couple of professors that had a little bit of experience there. And they also offered um, a limited license in psychology in that program. So it was a good fit because in Michigan, there weren't um, you know, there weren't really BCBAs that worked in Michigan. And um, in order to do really any work in the field and have any opportunity for billing anything from an insurance, you had to have a, a license in psychology. So I did that. And then I opened up my biz. I opened up a business when I graduated and just took clients, private pay clients that needed services. And, you know, like I said, there weren't really insurance companies that were paying for ABA at that point. So I did a lot of work with, you know, variety of different people, different disabilities and things, and then um, started to work for Children's Hospital in 2008. I was hired there. There really weren't any clinics in Michigan. I think there were three, um, my private practice, and then there were two other um, organizations that had some ABA services. So Children's wanted to open an ABA center. So they hired me in as their um, behavioral services director. And then from there, 
I, I learned so much. I started working with the School of Medicine and the, my boss was actually a pharmacologist and her husband was um, the chief of neurology. And so I got a lot of experience, like kind of blending and learning a lot about interprofessional skills and, you know, working, you know, collaboratively with a lot of people. But we grew pretty fast um, once insurance was passed in our state. We had... Um, I don't know, six kids. And then, you know, over time, we ended up opening three separate centers in different locations. We had like over 100 students coming to work with us because through the course of probably five years, there really still weren't a lot of ABA clinics and students were like, we were starting to pick up and have more um, students go through the program. So we did a lot of work at our centers on trying to figure out what is good supervision, what isn't good supervision, what works, what doesn't work, how to support them um, in a variety of different programs. So we we did a lot of trial and error and you know, now working at Wayne State um, full time as the the director of the ABA programs there, we've really, um, the people that I worked with at that center, they also teach within our program. And um, we just worked um, collaboratively to try to um, bring a lot of that, a lot of crossover between the clinic and the classroom. And, um, and now we have a lot of those things that we developed, you know, kind of in our clinical work that we use for our students and, and trying to get them to learn like at least the basics of the things that you need to be as a BCBA and try to be exposed to all of those things before they go out into the real world and have to actually be responsible for doing them. So you're so, yeah. doing some good um, antecedent interventions here, right? Like, yes, for sure. Trying to like <laughs> get, it, get it solid before they actually have a lot of uh, major consequences that come about from problems. So, so great. you also mentioned... <laughs> Um, you also mentioned to me, aren't you the, uh, you also were like their first teacher, right? In like their foundation mm-hmm. class. Yep. So we have, um, for our master's program, um, we have five semesters that they are with us. So um, I start them out. Um, I teach their foundations class. And one of the nice things about that is, you know, I really work closely with them. I get them enrolled in supervision and make sure that they've got good placement. I get to, you know, build some relationship with them and just kind of like make sure that they have all those core foundational skills before moving forward. Um, In our program, the students every semester take uh, like a core content class, which is like lecture and covers course material. And then they also take a um, field experience class, we call it. It also has some content in it, but um, we talk about practical issues. We talk about um, like how do things translate to their work. I have, it's really a discussion-based class rather than a lecture class. And they read something or they prepare something to kind of come to class. And then we just kind of answer questions and see what it is that people want to know about whatever that topic is. So um, the students kind of guide us on what their experiences are. And it's different. It's really different every year. I teach those two classes the first semester. And then the second semester, I teach the behavior assessment class and then the field experience class. And then from there, I just follow them with their field experience class for the most part. So for our students, I get to see them almost every semester that they're in our program, which as the program director helps me to make sure that they're taken care of and they know, you know, they're they're getting the right stuff and they're not having any problems and they're not falling through the cracks. So um, it's kind of a small, intimate program. And I really do like that about what we're doing. So you're, you're getting them from start to finish, right? From mm-hmm. like, oh, I've decided that I actually want to pursue my BCBA to when they first are collecting their 1,500 or not 2,000 hours. Did the 2,000 hours start yet? Yeah, in order for them to, like the students that are in our program now have to be collecting those hours because when they graduate, it'll be, you know, to the point where they'll have to take test list five. So we have um, already instituted all of those change, but changes, but yeah, it's it's kind of fun because I get to watch them grow up as behavior analysts and they come in and they know nothing. I mean, really, <laughs> even if they have a job in the field, they know very little and their writing improves and their skills improve. And then by the end, they're like professionals and it's such a journey. It's a lot of fun, actually. I love I love what I do. It's a lot That's of fun. That's super reinforcing to see it from the beginning to the end. But I remember when I started my grad school program, I was like, this is going to be so easy. Like, I like I got my master's in special ed. It was I thought that was a thing. I thought it was extremely behavior based. I'm like, yeah, yeah, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. And it's like, 
wait, 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 where did these compound schedules come into it? Wait, wait, wait. And these MO things or, you know, and I remember being like, uh, yeah, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a whirlwind. It's a whirlwind in the first semester, I think is we kind of, we kind of weed some people out in the first semester when they come into our program, they might not realize exactly what they've signed up for. Um, I try to do my best when they come in, we do interviews and we, I talk to them all individually and I try to do my best to let them know, but there are some students that, you know, thought that they were, you know, they're, you know, kind of had a pretty easy go of it in their other programs or wherever they came from and don't really realize the complexity. So, um, but I do tell them all, if they do the work and they put the time in, I mean, we're using all of the all of the principles that we would use to teach anybody else within our coursework, they should be able to learn it. We have the right resources, we have the right readings, we have the right mechanisms. And I work really hard with the students if they come in and they have deficits like, if they haven't like learned how to write very well, or if they haven't learned how to take a test very well, like, I mean, I really try to, I'll pull them aside and I'll be like, all right, we need a study plan or we need whatever it is. But if they, if they have life events going on, or if they're, if they're like, Hey, this is not really what I thought it was going to be. Um, the first semester is kind of the place where they, they do figure that out a little bit. So, um, so they don't all move forward, but, um, but for the ones that do, it's really nice to see them grow into their own with their profession and, and start really making good decisions out in the field. So that's always nice. And I so, think that's how it should be. Like think of med school, right? Like, yeah people are weeded out of med school. Like we are, you know, becoming uh, as a behavior analyst, you have, you do have, you know, people's lives in your hands. And so I like that about, it's, it's not just like an online grad program where you're a number of so many people, you're not, you know, given that care and that support. Um, I love that. I think that's really special. Yeah, it is. It is probably one of the, 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 my favorite things, I guess, about our program is I really do get to have a, a nice relationship with each one of the students and, and help kind of guide them out in the world. And so many of them come back, you know, they come back and they, and they keep in contact with me or they, you know, update me or, you know, they got this new job and now they're the center director or they have this new product that they've developed or they're doing this research. So I, I really do get to see them a lot too. It's kind of a small community, at least in Michigan, that, you know, they, everybody kind of knows everybody. So it's nice. That's really special. And, you know, I sometimes think about this with our field. So our test is hard, right? Our, our test is known as being difficult. Um, but what I don't really like about it is, I mean, I don't want there to be something blocking people from getting involved in it, because we obviously need as many behavior analysts as possible. But the idea that, I mean, to be honest, I think I literally just signed up for my courses. I mean, I already had a master's. I think I literally just signed up for the mm -hmm. certification. It was online. I, you know, they don't know if I'm just like sitting there with whatever it is. And then, so it's like, in like we, like as Casey said, we have, we're, we have people's lives in our hand, right? Like we are. This is a difference whether this person's engaging in a safe or unsafe behavior. This is the difference if someone can, you know, cross the street, get on a bus, work a job. And I do think that we do, I don't know if barriers is the word, but we do need more of this screening mm -hmm. to see who are we getting in here? Who is responsible to be, because I mean, it's a responsibility to be billing insurance, right? Like that's, um, like, are you doing quality work that is getting built? Because ultimately your reflection is of the field, especially when we're so new as a field that is just concerning if someone is just like, I, I think that what concerns me is that the test is the only way that we are able to measure these individuals to go into becoming a behavior analyst and some of the, some students I have who have not passed the test are probably some of the best practitioners that I've seen. And, you know, that's someone I'd want working with my kid or someone who's passed is just really good at testing. You give them any exam and they're just a, a natural tester. And so I, I feel like our field, I don't know if it's because it's not developed enough or mm -hmm. we don't have these ways of, and I, I just feel like it could get more respect 
and people would look at it differently if it was, you know, we, when you're in the field, you know how hard the test is. But what I'm mm -hmm. telling someone externally, like, yeah, my business is helping people for this test. They don't understand how difficult the test is, right? But at the same time, but that's it. It's it's a test. Yeah. Yeah. And and all the things that you're talking about are so important. Like this, this piece with the supervision too, it really impacts how well the students are actually going to perform on the test, in my opinion, because we had we've evolved over time in our program. And you know, in the beginning, we were just a course sequence and we didn't really monitor the practicum and you know, all of those kinds of things. But then, you know, as we started to grow, we had some students who were going to like our own. Um, professors and like their clinics and how they were running them versus where they were going out in the field and they would just be placed with any random person, you know, and get supervision. And we were like, wow, what a big difference on their class performance even because they're not learning in the same way and they're not applying the skills in the same way. They just don't get it. So then the people that would go take the test they wouldn't do as well if they weren't in our structured practicum when we had it as an option. Um, so we really started to evolve our program to mandate that we started to have these field experience classes. And then we started to create these rubrics and, and that they had to go out into the field. And if they didn't pick our you know, preferred places to go. They still had to do the same things as the other students. They had to get their supervisors to sign on. And, and then I started working more with more supervisors out in the field because they had questions about what we were asking them to do and kind of built additional relationships. And honestly, I just feel like at least in our area, supervision has improved because of the requirements that we had for our students to go out and use these materials out in their preferred, you know, wherever they chose to go, because we still had it open. We don't have a university clinic that they all go to, but um, but we have a lot of um, requirements that they have to turn in. And, and it's the whole package. It's not what you learn in a class or what you learn, you know, with your supervisor. It's the whole package, because like what you said, Leah, is it's so important when you go out to become a BCBA, the family is counting on you. They've got one kid that they are sending to your services and they're putting their whole life in your hands. And you better do a good job and you better not waste that kid's time. And we talk about this stuff all the time in our field experience classes and, and the, the conversation that you were having about what do other people think about our field and how are we, you know, presenting ourselves to other disciplines, to other, you know, to families, to organizations that we're, that we're you know, in contact with. Those things are so important because we do want people to take us seriously. And our students reflect that. You know, if we place them out in the field and they don't know what they're doing, that's the people out in the world are like, yeah, we don't really want that. We don't want that ABA stuff. So and there's not enough volume, I think, of like, yeah. so like here, right? Like if we hear of, oh, the psychologist is known as being nuts, like don't go to him, but there's enough and enough uh, reputation built up that like, oh, wow, we've seen so many great psychologists do great things. Like right now, I don't think that, I mean, I guess there's some behavioral scientists that aren't necessarily BCBAs that people hear about for different things, but not to the extent of like these famous doctors or psychologists. And so it's just, it's to get the proper respect. I think people need to understand, like to see quality because, and, and it just takes one bad experience of being mm -hmm. like ABA's abuse or, yeah. uh, honestly, we were just getting billed out the ass for, I have no idea what, and it's embarrassing and it's, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and it's sad because when you really see the beauty in it and how much it can do an effective ABA. Um, so I just think it's so amazing that you guys are catching it early on because once these contingencies are already built and someone's been mm -hmm. working somewhere for a while, they already have the credential, whatever it is. And so I mean, we need more people like you. I know at study notes, we try like catch these BCBAs early. I'm like, look, while I still have you guys with an MO and paying attention, <laughs> like I can't have you guys be BCBA holes. Like that's not going to work. Like, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, we, we can't, you know? So it's just the idea of being able to catch things early. Yeah. Yeah. This, the supervisors really have a big um, expectation. And if you're going to take on a student and you're going to work with them, they're going to learn how to be a BCBA just like you are. 
And if you haven't really put in the effort to model good behavior and you don't really know what you're doing, like if you just have a little bit under your belt, you passed your test and you've had, I mean, if you think about it, by the time a BCBA gets into like, let's say year three of being a BCBA, how many clients have they actually seen? Yeah. 40, maybe. I mean, that's pretty high. Well, it depends. I think depends on how unethical the place is. They might have seen 3,000. I don't know. That's true. But, you know, the the caseload is pretty small. And when you look at our population, and we tend to work with kids with autism, we could work with a kid that's two. We could work with a kid that's 21. And every every kind of behavior problem and every kind of, you know, difficulty in between, some of them talk, some of them don't, some of them have Mm -hmm. jobs, some, you know, it could be the the skill set is so varied. And when you go work for a company, you get what they give you, you know, oh, here's this kid that, you know, oh, you've never done a toileting program. That's okay. You're a behavior analyst. You know how to do that. But, you know, you really, you need to, as a supervisor, you need to know what your limits are. And one of the things that, um, that we like to do is we encourage people within their organization to work with different BCBAs and observe different BCBAs. So most organizations have more than one person there. They may not be their supervisor, but hey, could you go over and observe this program? Could you, you know, shadow this other BCBA so that you could see their program that you've never seen? Oh, you've never done, you know, a Hanley schedule before. Oh, why don't you go over and, you know, see what this looks like? Um, We've got one of those that are running and, you know, our rubrics that we have for our students and the performance packets that they're required to complete obviously it's not going to hit everything, but at least it kind of, it gives the range of, we need you to do all of these things at least once well, so that we can say that, you know, we've covered the bare minimum of things that you would need to know in order to be a BCBA. And I think it's really important. And you're also making better supervisors out there. Like if if they sign up to do this with you in Wayne State and your grad students, and then, you know, you're requiring Mm-hmm. than to do the work, right? Yeah, and absolutely. So- I'm on the phone with supervisors that I don't know on a regular basis. Like, you know, all of a sudden there'll be somebody new, there'll be a new business pop up. And one of my students is like, yeah, I really want to work here. I'm like, all right, here's all the packet stuff. Go talk to your supervisor. And then lo and behold, two weeks later, I get a phone call and they're like, hey, can you talk to us? We don't understand what you're looking for. So then we sit down and we go over what the data is supposed to look like. And, and the supervisors are are learning to be accountable for mm-hmm. their supervision, to document things, to give good feedback. Um, in the beginning, the first semester, the students um, read some material and they learn how to look for good supervision. And in our last semester, they read- That's huge. That's they huge. And to be good supervisors. So they kind of get to come full circle. Obviously, they're not going to run out and be a supervisor, but they look at it from both perspectives at the beginning of the program and at the end. And we have a lot of students right off the right off the bat. Now they look at their supervisor and they're like, I need a new supervisor. This isn't working out. And then they go find a new supervisor and they have those self-advocacy skills to go out and not just get interviewed by somebody, but also interview who's going to be supervising me and who's going to give me what I need. And that's the stuff that we kind of catch in those field experience classes. Yeah. Too. Like they can, they can bring that up in a safe environment and go, should my, should my supervisor be doing this? <laughs> so my, my question is what kind of response do you get from, because I mean, obviously you're provided since the practicum is not at your location mm-hmm. or at the university. Um, what kind, I'm assuming you're sending in like, Hey, I want you to definitely have the opportunity to do an FA while you're here. I want you to have the opportunity to do this. What kind of response are you getting from these clinics or, mm-hmm. um, or agencies? Yeah. Are, are they receptive to what you guys are have or it's more annoying to them? I mean, I imagine that I'd be like, hell yeah, I'm getting <laughs> these people who are already trained. Um, yeah, trained, they know what they're doing. In the beginning, we had a lot of people. So I would say probably, let's say five years ago, maybe a little bit longer. We had a lot of people that were like, nope, we can't do an FA here. 
we don't we don't do that. We're not we're not going to be responsible for that. The state of Michigan actually um, did a lot of work to educate people, and there were some grant funds and things that were used. And um, Hanley came in, I think, three times and did a mass training with like the entire state. And then we did some targeted trainings where he came in and worked with three or four clinics that, and it was all paid by grant stuff through Wayne State. Um, which was really awesome. The state had funded that and um, I had gotten a grant for some other capacity building things. So we kind of rolled it in there. And a lot of our students and a lot of the places where they were going got to participate, like 200, 300 people got trained. It was great. And then, um, so I would say over the course of a few years, People are more confident now with with pretty much everything that we do. Sometimes we run into, I'm sorry, but we can't videotape this mm-hmm. or we don't do that procedure. Um, but for the most part, um, I try to make an accommodation for them or I try to encourage the supervisors. So I sat down with a supervisor and a student a couple weeks ago and they were like, well, I don't have any kids that I do DTT with. And I'm like, well the student has to learn how to do DTT. You can't just say, well, I don't have any people at my clinic that I do this with. If she's going to graduate, she's got to be exposed to that. I'm like, so who else at your clinic has a kid that she can then be placed on that case for some period of time? And I know she's done DTT in the past, but you've not evaluated her. You don't know whether or not she does it well. So at least to the point where you can say, yep, I checked that off. She can at least do it and then bring her back to your caseload. So things like that. But um, we've only had, I think, probably two agencies in this whole time that said, nope, we're not doing this. And then I just tell the students, I'm like, you're going to have to find somewhere else to go. You either have to drop our program or you have to find another place. I mean, the ripple effect of what you're doing when I think about it. So like you're getting this person you could start shaping them as a, a good behavior and good ethical behavior analyst clinically like you know proficient from the Mm get-go and then what i actually think is cool is like the unplanned um ripple effect of now we actually have some first of all these clinics are going to want to hold up to more like clinical standards or best practice Mm -hmm. because sometimes we get so comfortable doing what we're doing but also the fact that we have more eyes in these places just like there's some accountability you know in terms of um And I don't want anyone thinking that I'm shit talking our field. I love ABA more than anything in the world. I just think we have a lot of work to do and growing. And, you know, I I feel like there's more oversight maybe in the medical profession in terms of what it's, you know, it's more like, okay, yeah, if you get a speeding ticket or whatever it is, call them the BACB for your ethics. (laughs) You know, like to let them know you got a speeding ticket. But it's like, okay, but like, how do I know you're offering – Mm-hmm. quality care, but the, you guys are actually, and these, so these students are learning what quality should look like. They're learning what they should be able to do. So that probably puts some, you know, responsibility or accountability on the agency as well as like, well, this Chris, a girl who's BCBA number 7,000, something else over here is, you know, holding us accountable for something. And I think it's actually really important. And especially yeah. if clinics willing to do that, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you kind of hit it right on the head over the course of the last few years since we started doing this, the quality of the student has increased because you can tell like they're coming from these clinics and and we get repeat students. We get referrals from clinics where they have worked with us and they're like, oh, you want to go to a program? Go to that program. So we get like we have a handful of clinics that regularly send us two or three students a year and, you know, they're used to doing our stuff. But we've just also like the errors that the student make students make are so different, even like how they talk about things in class. And that's a direct result of these clinics are doing a different kind of a supervision job than they used to do. It's like you can just see the level coming up and people aren't afraid of things and they're not like I, I'm pretty I'm pretty involved in the in the area. I was on the Autism Council for Michigan for four years um, between 2016 and, and this year. And so I had a lot of like reach with a lot of people contacted me for a lot of different reasons. I knew a lot of people that worked out in the clinics. And funny enough, many of our students that have graduated from our programs are now at all of these clinics. So then they trust me and I can kind of ask them like, what's going on there and how are things going? And some of them are 
are just, you know, taking cases. Some of them are directors and, you know, like it's been a few years now. So, but you can just see everybody leveled up in the last five years. And I know that it has something to do with this because people just supervise people differently. And it's a lot of things. I mean, obviously the BACB has made people more accountable and they're increasing the task list, but yeah, our field is growing so much and it's mm -hmm. definitely going in the right direction. People are doing a better and better job every year. Our curriculum gets harder because the students come in and they're prepared to be better and they're prepared to do more and they they bring it every year every year we make it harder and i don't know for whatever reason they just bring it <laughs> this is also a good for people listening like when i was going through my grad program i had no idea what supervision was supposed to look like yeah. there was i remember i got a piece of paper that basically said like you need to get this many hours like they're just like the right from the bacb and like my supervisor had to sign it and hand it back to my professor. And that was really the extent to what, um, I mean, I love my program. It was amazing, but I didn't know what I was supposed to get in supervision. And it wasn't really about like, I wouldn't, you know, reach out to my cohort. Like, what are you getting for supervision? I was just like, I'm getting my hours. I'm getting my hours. Like I'm doing my job. Cool. Um, so it's really nice to hear that it's okay to interview them. Like I loved how you said that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and, so, and I tell the students that you're not just going for an interview. You got to find the right supervisor. You go in with questions. You go in and ask them all the things. So, you know, really trying to prepare them with these are our expectations for our program. Make sure that you know them because when you go and meet with that supervisor, you got to know whether or not they're going to agree to do these things because don't get a job somewhere where you're going to try to get supervision and then all of a sudden you've got a big barrier because your supervisor is not interested in, in working on these things with you. So they definitely um, go in with the idea that they're interviewing their location. They also work together. Our students, we have a student ABA group and they work together um, in a lot of different ways. But one is just sharing information. Like if somebody needs like one of the centers closed nearby and there were like two or three students there and they were like, oh, my center's closed. I'm looking for a job. And then like three students volunteer. They're like, oh, well, my center's hiring and we're doing a great job. So they kind of work together. Mm -hmm. And um, there's not that many of them. We have, you know, 15 ish. I feel like everyone in the state of Michigan's a BCBA. Do you? I don't know how many we have now, but we definitely <laughs> were the fastest growing state for a good chunk of time. I was going to these, um, we had these university collaborative meetings, which was really cool as part of my role on the Autism Council and these grants that they had offered to some of the universities that the universities actually still all meet. So there's like, I don't know, 10 or so universities that offer ABA programs. And we all meet like every other month and just kind of chat. And what are you guys doing? And what challenges do you have? And so um, we were all working together pretty collaboratively for a while because the state had kind of mandated it because they had metrics on increasing the number of BCBAs based on the money that they were giving us. And we had to perform and make sure <laughs> that we were, you know, they were asking us how many people completed your program, how many people, you know, like, all of this stuff was happening for, it was about 2015 until like 2018-ish um, when they had some, um, uh, several of the universities were getting some significant grant funds from the state for capacity building, but it made a difference. We were 10th in the state for growth, I think, two years ago. I don't know where we are now because they stopped presenting that data, but lots so of growth awesome. here in Michigan. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So the one thing that you spoke about last time, which I was extremely impressed about, well, first of all, I was impressed about a lot of things. It seems like you have more hours in your day than the average person. But also what I, I feel like a lot of BCBAs are like that actually. Um, but minus me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess I get shit done, but I just like not in such a systematic way. Huh? Just put that New Year's resolution in there, that one yeah. where you're going to schedule yeah. more things that'll help. Exactly. Right? Yep. Um, you were talking about how, and can, if you could just refresh what I am trying to get to. Let's see if I could get it out. I'll do my best. How you, you create a lot of behavior skills training, like a lot of like tech, technological guys, that's a dimensions word, uh, protocols so that you can you know, that you're providing with as, you know, without really 
questioning space as to you're writing these things out specifically for your, and I was like, well, who actually writes these out? And you're like, oh, well, I do. I'm like, oh, so you're literally working on that micro level of working with these students. And you're like, yeah. And I thought that was really cool. So are you using a lot of behavior skills training? Yeah. In your so program? I, I think what you're asking. Um, so <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. Um, in our, so we have created rubrics and these, we call them rubrics, but basically they're um, performance criteria charts. And like, for example, we have a behavioral skills training rubric on behavioral skills training. So they have to, in their fifth semester, they have to present a 30 minute educational presentation as if they were presenting to RBTs and they have to embed a behavioral skills training activity into their presentation. While they do that, they're getting scored on how well they're doing behavioral skills training based on our behavioral skills training rubric. So they're doing it, but then they're getting feedback on how they're doing it. And our rubric kind of reflects that. That's just one example. But we have rubrics for all kinds of things. We have rubrics for um, IOA. We have rubrics for interpreting data. We have rubrics for doing preference assessments, for writing treatment plans. Like we have three packets that are pretty extensive um, that kind of go along with, I, I would say one packet is stuff that you would learn as a behavior technician, you know, basic, you know, working directly with a kid. The second packet has a little bit to do with like what you might do as a lead. Like there's some program writing stuff in there. There's documentation, you know, learning how to shadow a BCBA. So like writing some soap notes and things like that. And then the third packet has to do with like all the core things that you need to do as a BCBA, like doing an interview, um, doing an FA, writing a treatment plan, things like that are in there. So we have created these things. It was a it was a compilation of me and the um, the other people. So um, Michelle Fuhr and Rachel Barnhart um, to teach in our program as well. And we all worked together in the same clinic before we started this program. Um, we we were all they were working with me at the Children's Hospital Clinic, and then. My boss had actually told me, you should really go approach Wayne State and see if they would like to have us create or you create a BCBA program because she was working really closely with the state. So they kind of came along with me on this journey and they have been great. We've collaborated for many, many years on this stuff and they would use it in the clinic and then we would also use it with our students. But in the classroom, when we do our lecture, let's say um, next semester when I do behavior assessment, I have a whole lecture on preference assessment. Well, they come prepared to the class having read everything. I do a little PowerPoint just to hit all the basics, answer their question, and then they practice and they do preference assessments and they role play and they score each other with the rubrics. So that way, when they go out into their field experience, they're not green. They've done it once, you know, before they get in front of a kid, their supervisor doesn't have to do everything with them. Mm -hmm. So um, we do a little bit of a flip classroom um, in a lot of my classes because it's those basic skills that we're covering. It's a little harder to do that in the treatment planning class and the ethics class, but um, at least in my two classes, there's a lot of opportunity for performance stuff. Did Michelle Fear um, present at Study Stock? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, she did. It was great. I think yeah. she did ethics. I feel like she did something on ethics. Honestly, I don't remember, but probably we have done a lot of different presentations together. And typically we have some sort of an ethics flair to it, um, whatever it is. We've done a lot of work on presenting on supervision and training. Training and supervision is kind of like one of my like most, I don't know, um, interesting kind of things that I like to work on. I like to create new solid behavior analysts to go out into the world because like, I don't know, there's just a lot of crap out there. And I, I mean, it's hard to see when people are not doing the right thing when it's so easy to teach. They want to do the right thing. It's not that they don't want to, they just weren't taught. So as much as we can help them be better behavior analysts, the whole field is going to move forward, which means that all the kids that need services will better trust behavior analysts to give them those services and they'll actually have life-changing effects, you know, not like, you know, oh, I got five hours of ABA and half of it was crap. Like you want it to be like, I always tell them every minute counts. Don't waste that kid's time. It has to be good. Every single minute has to be good. So. Well, I just had goosebumps from that. And that is a great little 
Like I couldn't, you said it beautifully. It's exactly what needs to happen. And I think that's a great place unless there's anything else that you want to share. Um, I think that was a beautiful wrapping point. Great. Well, that, that sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I love getting the opportunity to talk about our program and, and really supervision and, and making the world a better place with, with ABA because I think that that's what we're all trying to do. So thanks so much for letting me um, talk a little bit about the techniques we use to do that. You know, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it so much. It was great to get to know you and just hear about some wonderful, awesome stuff that's actually happening in the field. I know that, you know, we hear a lot of you know, people like to highlight some of the bad stuff more, which is typical in life, but it's mm -hmm. nice to hear. And I think what the title I think is going to be level up because I, when you yeah. said it, I wrote it down and I was like, yes, Krista Clancy level up. Like, I love this. So yeah. that was Rachel Barnhart's term. So, so I'll give her give credit. Her credit. You know, she was always like, all right, we got to level up. So it was, I love it. Yeah. It's a little culture we have with all of our professors that all kind of teach together. We have our own vibe. I love that. So for anyone listening, I, I know obviously right now you have a in-person program, which is it's still going on with COVID. I mean, not really, actually. Um, we Everything had to go online for us last March. So we have created basically a, 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 an ACE, uh, not ACE, I'm sorry, a synchronous program. We have live classes. It's been a little challenging to try to do behavioral skills training on Zoom, but... <laughs> We have been doing it. It's been, I've got um, my next class that's coming up. Um, normally they would teach the the 30 minute lecture that I was talking about to all of our students. So now I gave them all the option. I said, you either have to do it in a way that the students can perform whatever you're doing through, you know, telehealth mm -hmm. or, which is also very applicable because now everybody's doing telehealth or you can at your place of work, identify four or five actual technicians and you can do a behavioral skills training and record it. And then we're all going to sit and watch it. So we're still doing all of the things, but um, we are we are going to start taking students now from pretty much anywhere. So That's if what I was going to ask, yeah. Um, we are definitely interested in expanding. And now that we've been exposed to doing things, you know, using Zoom and all of the technology, it's working. It really is. So we're we're definitely more open to that. We'd like to see students. And I would like to still be very supportive with the field experience, even if somebody's coming from a different state. I'll definitely still work with, you know, whoever you get in contact with. And I think our model works well because the students do learn how to go and figure out how to apply for supervision and how to seek that out. And, you know, um, I, although I have some relationships here, I think it'll still work out just fine. And I'll just create some new relationships wherever the students come from. I love that. I think you're the perfect person for it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So come on in. Come on. Come to Wayne State. Guys, I'm, I'm excited about that. And just so you know, I mean, I think a lot of people, uh, at least I know I did, I'd be like, Oh yeah, whatever, whatever. I'm going to learn this all on the job, you know? And when it comes to the job, once you're started as a BCBA, a lot of people are like, whoa, what? It's like, you've been slapped in the face. Like, this is what I'm getting. So I think just for you guys to realize, you know, I wish someone had told me this when I was um, studying or doing my work uh, about how important your experience before that test is, because once you take that test, um, you're kind of expected to fly and, you know, just based on contingencies, you know, like for a clinic to pay you, they need to be making money. So they need to be able to bill your services. And, and I, I think that there's a, and I think probably a lot of us in the field are doing more work to try close that gap a little bit uh, as opposed from just going right out there and just like jumping off the cliff and hoping that your uh, parachute opens. <laughs> uh, but I just want you guys to know that, like friend to friend over here, or someone who's, you know, been in that position and been completely lost, this is a huge opportunity. So if you are looking to have a place that you're going to have that support so that you are strong when you come out of that test, because I think, and of course, you're still going to have to learn things because you're now on the other side. So you guys can find the link in our show notes. I still love saying that however many episodes later. I remember it, day one. I was like, oh my God, I got to say show notes. 
we're, we're legit. And now we just like drop that off the tongue. Like it's no big thing. Yeah. So, well, I think we didn't know if we'd continue the podcast. So it's like, we got to say it while we still have it, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. but here we are. Was it 82 episodes later? Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, Krista, thank you so, so, so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's it's really awesome to have people like you in the field, both as a clinician, me saying this as a clinician, and me saying this as someone, as a sibling with someone with autism, um, to know that there are people who care so much about the quality and uh, when there's so many other competing contingencies and things out there, it's just like huge and gives me a lot of hope for the field. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks. That means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Of course. Well, I appreciate you. So guys, you know where to find us. You could find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast. You could go to our website, behaviorbitches.com. And if you want to support us for as little as $2 a month, you could go to patreon.com slash behaviorbitchespodcast. And I know I sound desperate, but like, I really don't give a shit. I love getting reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you want to support us in a way that is free, you know what? Go, 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 go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And as I always say, if you have nothing nice to say, I really would rather not hear it. So thank you so much, guys. As always, love ya. Mean it. Hey, guys, it's Liat. And Casey, we just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way you can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 